Welcome back to Cuban Serenade, a podcast series exploring the history of Cuban music in Canada. With this episode, we depart, a little bit, from the path that we've been following. We've been tracing Cuban music in Canada historically over the decades, from the 1940s. This episode features one musician, pianist Hilario Duran, who many regard as the most significant Cuban musician in Canada, past or present. Fortunately, he's still an extremely active presence in Toronto. Part of the part of what I've always felt is that he's such a deep musician and he's such a wide ranging musician that his uh, talent should be people should know about him as more than just even as a pianist or arranger or anything like that. For instance, he's a great orchestral writer. He's written for orchestras, for big bands. And uh, it's a, it's, there's a, a real depth to him as a musician. You know, there's very few musicians that I can personally say I think are geniuses that I've worked with. You know, Egberto Gismonti is one of them. Alario is another. You know, there's, there's no doubt about it. He's genius. That's Roberto Chipinti and Jane Bonnet, speaking of Hilario Duran, just two of many Canadian musicians who sing his praises after many years of collaboration. Hilario Duran came to Canada permanently in 1998 after a long career in Cuba and internationally. In Cuba, he played with two major orchestras, the Orquesta de Aficionados in 1970, and in 1976 he replaced the legendary Chucho Valdez in the Orquesta de Musica Moderna. He also formed his own band, Perspectiva, which fused Afro-Cuban and traditional jazz. He toured the world with some of the greatest Cuban musicians, including Arturo Sandoval, Paquito de Rivera, and Chucho Valdez himself. Unlike many, Duran was able to come and go from Cuba with relative ease. But after a decade of moving between Cuba and Canada, working initially with Canadian jazz musicians Jane Bunnett and Larry Kramer, he decided to make Canada his home. Here's a bit of Hilario's early work in Cuba. Tropical 50, Grupo Perspectiva, 
1995, I came here to play with the quartet with, with uh, Carlos del Puerto Jr., the bass player. Uh, it's a, the great Cuban bass player that he's, he's, he's now in LA, playing with a lot of great stars like Chico Korea and, and so, so many great bands. So we, we came here to play at uh, the Montreal, again, to the Montreal Jazz Festival with the quartet. After we made this gig, we, we, after I made this gig with the quartet, I called Jane in, in Toronto and say, hey, Jane, I am here. So do you have, do you have work for me? <laughs> so and she told me, so come, come here, get, get, a, get a car or something, get a, a bus and come here to Toronto. That we have, we have a gift for, for you. So again, uh, so I moved here to Toronto. Well, uh, uh, we did the uh, Halifax Jazz Festival with Jane uh, and Sesso Machado. And after, and after this, I stayed in Toronto uh, for a few months, working with Jane. Playing in different places with Jane and also uh, doing a little bit of teaching also. And working with different people like that. And it wasn't until 1998 that I decided to, when I started coming back and forth from Cuba to Canada, I, I decided to, to move here in 1998 with my family permanently. At that time, I, I started getting opportunities of working here in, the, in this country more often than in other places, you know. I also, because I started coming back and forth working with Jane and working with different people. And I decided to move here because I got, I found great opportunities of working here better than other places. Hilario had been collaborating with Jane for a long time. Bennett and her husband Larry Kramer went to Cuba to check out the music scene in 1981. In Havana, they met up with Bobby Carcasses, longtime director of the Havana Jazz Festival, as well as many other jazz luminaries. They returned repeatedly, including once with a CBC producer, to record some of the musical riches they were hearing and share them with Canadian audiences. But the recording quality was not good enough for broadcasting, and that led them to the idea of recording an album in Cuba. And we really needed a pianist that was a, someone who understood jazz harmony, but also had a love of the folkloric music, which was what Larry and I were so initially gravitated towards. You know, even though we were jazz, playing jazz, and at that time, fusion was like, Oh my God, like everybody was in Cuba was into fusion. So it was all like electric and really, really shitty sound. Like was, you know, great players, but re really awful Russian equipment. And, and it was, everything was electrical and they had a different kind of sensibility about jazz. So we wanted it to be an acoustic record and had to be somebody who also loved the folkloric music, which is what we really loved. The, the the chants and and the bare bones rootsiness of the music and Guillermo said I got the perfect piano player for you and but he never said the guy's name and he said I've got the perfect guy and finally as we got got closer and we got the session you know we had all the players nailed down we had Gonzalo Rubalcaba we had Frank Emilio and we had um, Yoruba and Dabo, we had Mercedes and a number of other people um, on the recording. Apparently, the day before the recording, either the day of the recording or the day before the recording, he ran into Alario and he had never made contact with Alario. And he ran into him in the street and he said, I got a recording for you. 
that I want you to be at. There's these two Canadians, and it's either today or it's tomorrow. And Karen and Hilario said, oh, I'll be there. If he hadn't run into him in the street, we wouldn't, I think we never would have met. And so to me, it's just like the, the destiny of that. Roberto Cipinti is another well-known Canadian musician who comes from the worlds of both classical and jazz music. During his studies at the Juilliard School in New York, he encountered the vibrant Latin jazz and salsa world in Spanish Harlem. He returned to Toronto and occasionally played with salsa bands there. He's Italian but learned to speak Spanish. That's how he met Ilario. The funny thing for me was that I, I was auditioned I had to, to go to the Juilliard School of Music in New York. And while I was there, this was in the heyday of, uh, I'm giving you some background on this, in the heyday of the Fania All-Stars in the 70s. And where I was staying was uh, was at 110th and Broadway, right, in the, right at the edge of Spanish Harlem. So I was hearing this salsa, you know, the classic salsa, New York salsa through that time, even though I was auditioning to go to be a classical musician at the, the Juilliard School. So I recorded everything that week, you know, uh, Hector Lavoie, uh, Eddie Palmieri, all that stuff, um, you know, so, so I would have cassettes. I ended up taking a job in the Winnipeg Symphony. I did that for a couple of years and I used to play along with these, these things there. Italians, we always had Latin music at weddings. So I grew up with cha-cha-cha, the mambos and tango and stuff like that at weddings. I came back to Toronto and I was playing in uh, the opera, but a friend of mine had a salsa band and they always needed a bass player. So I ended up saying, okay, I'll come and do that. So I started off playing salsa bands while I was playing in the opera, just for fun, doing weddings and things like that, because I really did enjoy it. That was my getting my feet wet into what we call, I don't like the term Latin music, but uh, Afro-Cuban music. We, we also played a lot of cumbia. And because I, I, I learned how to speak Spanish, because it's very close to Italian. So I could speak Spanish and I learned, you know, I did this thing. So I was doing that. And then I ended up playing, and this is very important for the history in Toronto, Playing with this, this salsa band brought me into contact with Memo Acevedo. And Memo had a band called Banda Brava, which was uh, really high level, members of the Boss Brass. But Memo really brought together the idea of, of uh, this really great uh, kind of, he's not Cuban, but he brought that music together in Latin jazz. It was a big thing. And I played with him for a long time. And while I played with him, I met up with Jane Bennett a little bit, you know, playing, we'd, we would do some things there. But I, because lots of people assumed because my name ends in a vowel that I was uh, Cuban or, and I spoke Spanish, that it was either Cuban or whatever, Latin American. I got, someone asked me to play with this pianist from Cuba. It was Hilario. And we, we played this one little gig at, uh, it was some showcase thing. It was just the trio, the three of us playing with uh, a conga player. And Hilario and I hit it off well on that one there and Eli it was Eladio that recommended me to play with Jane Bennett because he's because they're having trouble with uh, keep you know with the Cubans get bringing Cubans in and out of the country and he said well get this guy here he can play the stuff and uh, Eladio was like my gateway drug into this uh, into the music. The Toronto that Hilario came to in the 1990s was just beginning to experience a Latin American music boom. Lula Lounge, the city's now legendary Latin American music club, had yet to open its doors. As we'll explore in the next episode of Cuban Serenade, Lula opened in 2002. 
but a combination of harsh economic realities in Cuba, particularly after the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991, as well as increasingly restrictive measures against Cubans seeking visas to enter the U.S., brought a lot of Cubans to Canada. Here's Hilario playing Lagrimas Negras with Jane Burnett from the album Cuban Rhapsody, 2011. Came here, uh, there was already a Latin scene in Toronto, and uh, I know in Montreal there there was there were a few projects already going going on. So I know that I know there was there was a guy here, uh, a percussionist called Memo Acevedo, that he made he made a great impact here in in the city and, and all over Canada. I know him because he has a, a, a big Latin project. So before I came here, and also, the, also there was a, another another group, important group that, uh, called Montuno Police, uh, uh, the percussion Rick Lazar, with a lot of great musicians like Gorchier, the piano Gorchier, and Marcos on drums. And they were doing the, their scene too, mixing Brazilian music with Latin music and Africa. The, Really interesting project, and also there was another group called Cloudy Congo, with uh, with the tres player Jay Dale, that after 
after a while I started using in my own projects. So there were there were a few people, there were a few people were doing their thing here, but it, it still wasn't very active until I came the big part of, of this uh, start growing of the, the Latin thing and the Cuban thing. Toronto was part we we own to we own to Jim Bonnet and Larry Kramer, but because they start to they start to bring musicians from Cuba here to to Canada to Toronto, and this this musician start uh, uh, start also connected with the with the music scene here, like, but it wasn't like a, a, a static scene because some of the musicians that came here and start connected, but after they moved to the United States and they moved to other places like Iran and stuff, for example, the the great pianist David Bireles, that came uh, to work with Jen Bonet, and after he moved to New York, after a few years, he also uh, started working with with me at Hamburg College in Lakeshore. He was he was first a, a student and after he was part of the the music fa faculty there, uh, so that we make a big impact here in the city and all over Canada until he decided to move to New York. Jane Bonnet also recalled that Toronto that Eladio started to visit was a different place musically than it is today. There was no real global music scene in Toronto in 1991. There was nothing. When that harbor front stage opened up, that was the first time that all of us, you started to see a group from Haiti or you started to see a group from Africa or you started to see, like, none of those things happened. That, that WOMAD thing that, that happened, Peter Gabriel, and when they opened that stage, which was the WOMAD stage, it had an agenda. agenda to present. And I mean, I even remember a little bit of a backlash because the dancers at the end, at the end in our show, the dancers came out in, you know, stilettos and they first they were doing the Grishas and we had two, three dancers. We had Poopy, he was in stilettos, but Poopy, great dancer in Swa. And, uh, and then it's two other women. And they came out and you know what they were, these teeny weeny Tropicana, bikinis and fishnets and stilettos and with the you know the, the g-string going up the, the butt there was like you know there was some letters into now magazine saying uh well kind of i used to respect jane Bennett, but she didn't need these were from women she didn't need to didn't didn't have to present that flash forward like now now everybody who's been to cuba has seen a tropicana show and they then they've seen photos you know from the 40s and stuff and they've seen they've seen that stuff so it's no big deal but back then it was really it it seemed outrageous right that, that, that was interpreted that was interpreted like a strip show or something it was really it was really odd so that's kind of the mentality like and especially unfortunately in the in the jazz world which is very uh, it's not it's much better now because the younger the younger musicians now are way more open-minded um and, and the world music scene global music scene is so big in toronto now with all kinds of, of music and you know you look at the agagon the performances that are going on there um with all kinds of music you know and uh Kerner Hall present, you know, it's just like, it's like night and day. 
but yeah, there was a, there was a real stigma, um, especially about Cuban musicians because nobody knew any of them, and we people were kind of funny with us because we looked like we were just. It was almost like we looked like we were shit disturbers because we were bringing all these foreigners into play. It was this kind of a xenophobia about it. It it, it kind of challenged challenged people's musical direction. Hilario Duran didn't invent Cuban music in Canada, and like all migrants in all fields, he relied on help from his friends to adjust and rebuild his career here. But because of Hilario's prestige in Cuba, his success in Canada helped to convince many other musicians back home that Canada might be a welcoming destination. A few years ago, we were speaking with Joaquin Borges-Triana, a Havana-based professor of cultural studies, who has written extensively on Cuban music on and off the island. We asked him a question. Of all the musicians who ended up in the diaspora in Canada, who has maintained the highest profile in Cuba? His answer was quick and definite, Hilario Duran. Twenty-five years after his departure, everyone still knows him in Cuba, Joaquin told us. I don't, I don't know. Maybe we don't modesty or something. I, I don't, I don't like to, to speak like that. But it's right, right after I moved here, they in Cuba they know that I was here. I was, I was working a lot and make, making part in the music scene, and so they, they start this. They, they want to start coming here. Part, part of that was this because of me, but what part of that was because there were other musicians that came here by chance, working in another place, uh, maybe they were on tour or something, and they moved here and they decide, they decide to stay. That was that, That's question, that, uh, as I said before, I was questioning opportunity. What, what I said before, I got, I, I found here a lot of opportunity to work. Hilario Duran became an incredibly important and prolific contributor to Canada's music scene. He began teaching at Humber College, where he continues to work. He has recorded 14 of his own albums and has recorded with countless others. He has been nominated for and won multiple Juno and National Jazz Awards. He has organized his own jazz quartet and a jazz orchestra. With his partner, Cristobalina Palacio, he has formed his own music production company, Esme Musica. He's also the kind of musician who stretches himself constantly. His most recent album is the soundtrack to the fiction film The Cuban, which he scored and produced. He has also recorded an album with David Bookbinder's Flying Bulgur Klesmer Band. That album, Odessa Havana, is a unique and fascinating collaboration between musical genres not known to spend time together, traditional Yiddish sounds and Cuban jazz. It's this range of music and cultures in Canada that Hilario values the most. Here's a bit of Hilario's collaboration with David Bookbinder's flying vocal Klesmer band, Rumba Judia, from the Odessa Havana album 2007.
I don't know. I felt comfortable here. Uh, it was it was like a love of the first sign when I came here. I, I, this country is is, is, is this is uh, you know this is a great country, you know, with a lot of opportunities, and also even uh, it wasn't even it wasn't very strong the the Latin music and and that that sense i found here that there are, there is a lot of respect for music the people have a lot of respect for music from other countries not only for latin music i find i find here in canada that people people like everything or a lot of respect for latin music for music from india music from africa music even from china Everywhere you can find anything, you can find any culture because as a multicultural center, uh, once the multicultural center of the world that is Canada, you can find here a lot of uh, great cultures. When I was in Cuba working, doing my scenes as a musician, I wasn't aware of the potential to have this country to, to make a life as a musician. Well, that wasn't until I came here, I started working and I started, I started meeting musicians and I started working uh, where I felt, I felt like I'm a, my second home. Hilario says that Canada has provided him with a lot. What Hilario has done for Canadian musicians is well expressed by Roberto Ochipinti. As a musician, when you go to Cuba, it's like an epiphany. You go there and you say, what we've been doing was at a superficial level, what these guys were doing for real in Cuba. So it became a, a huge learning curve for me, um, and Hilario was my was my uh, my my teacher, my guide guidepost for all those things. There, you know, he would he would because he, he had such a deep knowledge of the music, he would show me things and write out stuff for me to play and and all the rest. And I got to meet through Jane and through him all these really great players. That's has basically informed my career for the last uh, twenty five years. I think there's Cubans everywhere, you know, I'm, uh, but the, uh, the, a large number of them are in Toronto. It actually sort of what drew me to uh, the Cubans because they reminded me of uh, Italian immigrants like my family, the sense of community that's there. And uh, it's something I saw in, in, the, in the Cuban community is that, that real sense of, uh, of community. You know, the thing is that uh, it's not so much the le technical level. It's the it's the it's, it's the the knowledge base the uh, the base of of what the music is all about. It's like if you uh, you know if you grew up in uh, I don't know uh, Sudbury and then you went to and you were a jazz musician and then you went down to New Orleans, all of a sudden it's, oh wow this is this is where it's from this is the thing, you know because what people call Latin music or salsa is Afro-Cuban music, even if it's played by Puerto Ricans or if it's played by Colombians, it's, it's Cuban music, right? We could be talking about Hilario Duran for a very long time. For example, there's a lot to be said about his contribution to in interethnic music making in Toronto, more specifically about Cuban diasporic musical collaborations with people from other countries and cultures, as well as how Hilario has advanced the presence of Cuban musical instruction in the Canadian school system. The best way to appreciate and acknowledge the many talents of this musical genius is by listening to his music. Here's the opening theme Hilario composed and recorded for the film The Cuban in 2020.
We hope you enjoyed this episode on the influence and role of Hilario Duran in the history of Cuban music in Canada. Stay tuned for future episodes of Cuban Serenade. In the next episode, we'll talk about the early years and living history of Lula Lounge, a Toronto hub for Cuban and Latin American music. Hasta pronto! <laughs>